So we have five parables here in chapter 13, and we actually have seven in the entire uh, chapter 13 of Matthew. And so we're going to look at these five, um, but before uh, we go any further than that, um, I, I want to identify the say what part of this. Um, because Roger's always good about uh, connecting the dots with the series and laying things out incremental, incrementally, and um, I'm not, so <laughs> I'm going to make sure I do this first. Um, the say what part of it is, I've been a good person, so I'm going to go to heaven. That's the general belief that's out there that um, is wrong and is what we're looking at. Um, in some of these parables today. So, um, I've, I'm going to go to heaven because I've been a good person. So that, that's the, it's not true. <laughs> that's, that's the say what. And um, I will transition from that with a guy named Ray Comfort. Anybody ever heard of Ray Comfort? I have some hope in this crowd. No. All right. Earlier crowd, I didn't have much hope of them knowing who he was, but I thought you guys might. He was, um, is a very popular, um, uh, what's the, he's a street preacher and an apologist and an evangelist, and um, he made a um, pretty famous CD, DVD series kind of thing, and the basis of it was this, this 25-minute talk called Hell's Best Kept Secret. And in Hell's Best Kept Secret, he talks about how there's this pervasive attitude that your good personness is going to get you into heaven. And um, he takes that logic apart by using the Ten Commandments and the law. And so he says, um, you know, have you ever stolen anything? And it doesn't matter, a paperclip, anything. You ever taken something that wasn't yours? And the person will say, yes. And he actually prays for hecklers to come along in his street preaching time because it, it brings an audience when he's got somebody to, to sort of dialogue back and forth with. And so, you ever stolen anything? Oh, yeah, of course. You ever told a lie? Well, no. Well, that's a lie. Of course you've told a lie. And so he, he has this kind of witty, witty exchange back and forth with people. And eventually he, he sort of says, so if you're a lying, thieving, adulterer at heart, why are you going to go to heaven? And their response, if they've been convicted by it all, is, well, I don't know. And then he gets to share the good news of Jesus with him. And if they're still sort of in that hardened heart place, it's, well, because I'm a good person. Well, and the good person, this, of course, won't get you to heaven. So um, it's all Jesus, and that's the point. So transitioning from being all Jesus to these five parables. So we see five of these kingdom of heaven parables in, this, in today's reading, and they're the short, staccato sort of, one-and-done parables, if you will. And in order to really understand these, we have to understand the, the first two that were not part of today's reading. But when we look at today's, we see the mustard seed, the leaven, the treasure, the pearl, and the nets. And um, if 
we think of them really loosely sort of in terms of theme, we would think of leaven and mustard seed about small things with great power potential, and um, we think about those usually in terms of faith. Um, and when we think about the pearl and the treasure and the cost and the sacrifice, um, we tend to think about that in terms of uh, you know, our willingness to give of ourselves and our willingness to kind of go all in for, for Jesus and sell everything you have and follow me and all of, all of that. And, and um, that's not wrong, but it's, it may not be the right way to look at this. And then we look at the fish and the nets and the par- that parable in terms of, of judgment and the um, reward or penalty for not using our faith and our resources and all of that well. If we look at all five of these kind of in, in stereo that way, we can come up with this all being kind of about me and not um, necessarily understanding what Jesus is trying to say here. And so to do that, we kind of got to back up a little bit and understand, at least look at and understand the first two parables. I'm not going to read them. I'm just going to kind of summarize them. So the first one at the beginning of Matthew 13 uh, is about the sower who went out to sow. And he's sowing seeds, and the seeds fall on the path, and the birds come and eat it. The seeds fall on the rocky ground, and because it doesn't have any place for the root to, to get hold of, it, it germinates quickly, but then the sun comes up, and it burns and, and dies. Um, the other seed comes up, and then as the thorns come up with it, they choke it out, and um, it doesn't produce any fruit that way, or it doesn't produce any grain that way. And the final one is one that falls on good soil and does what it's supposed to. It produces a harvest of, of 100 or 60 or 30, but it, it accomplishes this mission. That's um, number one, the uh, parable of the sower. The other one is the parable of what I grew up knowing as the wheat and the tares. We could call it the weeds and the wheat. And um, that's a, a, an owner of... A man has a field that he prepares, he plants it full of good seed, and um, in, the, in the nighttime an enemy comes and sows weeds in with his seed. I don't know why they would have to do that. Weeds come up very easily in my garden. I don't have to plant them or worry about it. It just happens. Um, but anyway, the servants are looking at him saying, well, didn't you use good seed? And he said, of course I did. And they said, well, how then is there all these weeds in this garden. And he said, well, an enemy must have done this. And so they said, well, what do you want us to do? You want us to go pull the weeds? And again, how I garden. No, we don't pull weeds. We just let them, let them ride. And then when it's time for harvest, we'll pull the weeds, we'll bind those up into bundles and burn, and then we'll harvest the wheat separately. And um, we'll sort them out at the end. And so um, we see that echoed and the parable of the, of the nets and the fish. And so it's, it's fair to see these two side by side, or these, these two in conjunction with the other five, all is part of Matthew 13. Does that make sense? So we got to understand these five that are really quick and short, we kind of got to understand the two longer ones. And Jesus explains the two longer ones to the disciples uh, because they ask him to. And then he doesn't. He just says, do you you understand what I'm saying? After he does these five short ones. And they say, yes. And he said, okay, good. And kind of leaves it at that. So what we need to understand is that we don't have any power over the seed itself. 
the soil is what we can control. And so we need to do everything we can to cultivate that soil and remove the rocks, remove the thorns, make it so that there's an opportunity for that seed to really stick. Um, that would be the first parable. The second parable is we need to be really careful that we don't judge prematurely what's going to somebody else. Um, it could, what looks like a weed could be a wheat, in other words. And so we're gonna, we need to leave that final judgment up to God and not be premature in how we're judging others. Um, but back to, back to my notes. <laughs> so um, when we think about this, the mustard seed, um, it, I tend to think of it in terms of, of um, me. Like, it's, my, you know, it's faith. It's my faith. It's how, how does this work? And um, there's a reason for that because we've all heard the story. It's out of Matthew 17 and, Matthew, and Luke 17, but we've all heard the story of if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be uprooted, and, and, it would, and it would be moved, and it would be moved. And in Luke, he says, if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and tossed into the sea, and it would be so. But you don't have that kind of faith, so you're not seeing these kind of miracles, is basically what he said. So anytime I hear mustard seed, I think of faith. And right or wrong, that's just kind of where my mind goes with that. And I think of it in terms of my faith. And... Um, right or wrong. That's just kind of where my mind goes with that. Um, but this mustard seed parable is not really about my faith, but about the kingdom of heaven. He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. My faith doesn't make that mustard seed grow. The mustard seed grows because God gives the growth. And my faith and your faith certainly help advance the kingdom of God. But in the end, our faith is just a gift of God. Faith is a gift that God gives us. He allows us to have faith so that we can do something with it. More on this in just a minute. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Anybody ever had any experiences with yeast? I have. Um, Julie's shaking her head. She remembers this one. At seminary, before we had children, um, the first semester of seminary, there were, there were I discovered a grove of apple trees up at the top of the hill. And uh, we were in Wisconsin, and the apples were falling in you know, September, October. And so I went and gathered a bunch of apples and made apple juice, apple cider, and put it into a big glass five-gallon jug and was going to make you know, apple cider and um, have some nice fermented apple cider to enjoy. And um, when you ferment things... Um, it is a natural process. You don't have to do anything. The yeast that it takes for fermentation grows naturally on every skin of every fruit, pretty much. And so um, you just, just juice it and let it do its thing. Well, it did its thing, and it bubbled, and it fermented, and it kept bubbling and fermenting through the little airlock. And then about November or December, it had slowed down enough to where I thought, okay, well, I can bottle it. So I bottled it. And um, in March or April, I said, you know, it looks like it's done. It looks like it's carbonated. I'm going to 
I'm going to open one of these and, and see what it's like. And I put it in the kitchen and hit the little flip top on the little flip top bottle. And the entire contents, of the, it went boom. And the entire contents of the bottle hit the ceiling and rained down all over the kitchen. Yeah, big mess, bad, bad. Uh, she wasn't there. That was good. But um, anyway, it was a mess. I cleaned it up. And I thought, well, maybe it was because it wasn't cold. So I refrigerated the next one and got it cold. And fortunately, I had the foresight to take this one outside to open it. <laughs> and open it, and it was like a garden hose. And all of the contents of this 16-ounce bottle emptied out of the porch and into the yard. And I said, oh, I guess it's all bad. And so I thought, well, I can't open them because they're going to make a mess everywhere if I open them. I'll just throw these away. And I, I remember walking across um, with these because I had a few of those flip-top bottles, but most of them were just regular kind of crown beer bottles, and the glass is much more thin on those. And I just remember thinking, oh, my God, this is like a bomb. <laughs> and I walked across, and I set it next to the dumpster and kind of backed away, and I thought, well, there are kids here. I can't do that. I I got to put it in the dumpster. And so I picked up a, a six pack and put it in the dumpster and went boom, 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 boom. I was like, oh my God. And so one by one, I'm sort of sliding it in under the closed dumpster lid and letting it go down to the edge and it hits the bottom. And I mean, the glass is so under so much pressure, it explodes and it rains glass and cider all over the inside of this dumpster for, I don't know, 20 something bottles worth. And, and, um, Anyway, yeast is not something to be trifled with. It's powerful, powerful thing. You can't see it, but it will mess you up. And, and um, the whole purpose, I mean, the, yeast's whole function is to make more yeast. That's it. It consumes sugar either in the form of uh, starches and breads or sugars from, from fruit or whatever, it consumes sugar and makes alcohol and carbon dioxide, and it is virtually unstoppable once it's started. That's the kingdom of heaven, virtually unstoppable once it's started. It does not depend on me. Jesus started it, and it's moving forward. I get to be like that woman needing it in and, and adjusting and controlling how it is pointed, how it is directed, I, I get to have a, a part to play in that, but I'm not in control of that. So the next two parables, just to move on, next two parables, the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. Um, again, I tend to think of this as like, you know, what am I willing to give up for Jesus? What, how much am I willing to to surrender to him. And that's not a bad thing, but it's the wrong way to read this. <clears throat> because in all of these parables, Jesus is the one doing the action. And the church or the kingdom of God is the object, the recipient of the action. And so it's not about me selling everything I have to buy this field and this treasure. It's about Jesus selling everything he has, giving everything of himself for that treasure which is you and me and the rest of the church. He, he gave his life, everything he had for us. Um, that is same 
is true again of this pearl of great price. I mean, it's, these are two things that are kept secret but are of great value that he gives everything he has to purchase. So, um, doesn't depend on my faith. It doesn't depend on my sacrifice. But my faith and my sacrifice, my faith and my participation are part of it, but it doesn't depend on me. And then we get to this sort of troubling one. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This idea of the good fish and the bad fish, that's pretty subjective if I'm making those decisions. I have a friend that likes to catch whiting in the surf, and um, he grills it and has fish, fresh fish sandwiches for lunch. Um, I have other friends that will only use whiting as shark bait, and they don't ever plan on doing anything with the sharks when they catch them. They just want to catch them just for the sake of catching them. Um, La Russe Gastronomique, the world's greatest culinary encyclopedia, almost every one of their fish stocks and fish sauces and fish bases, um, the principal ingredient is large, fresh mullet. Uh, some people understand where I'm going with this. Um, <laughs> large fresh mullet and um, I've never actually eaten mullets um, I know when I was a kid 40 years ago and I remember people that seemed really old, old then they were probably my age but they seemed really old then talking about the delicacies of fresh fried mullet and there was a lady sitting right up front during the 8 o'clock sermon and she said oh yeah yeah and I was like okay well apparently you've had this experience but for most of us, mullet would not make the cut of good versus bad. It would be sorted into the bad category um, and not the good fish category. And when we're looking at this, it's either good or bad. It's either a wheat or it's a weed. It's either a good fish or it's a bad fish. And when I think about me and myself, and I think about, hmm, I, I mean, I might seem like a good guy, might seem like a nice guy, but I, I'm a sinful man. I, I'm, I mean, I, that's some bad stuff, bad thoughts that just come into my mind, things that I don't, I don't mean to happen, but they, they happen, and it, that, that sinfulness, at least I'm aware of it, and I know that it's there. I don't, I don't really know how deep it runs, but I know that it's there. And so if I think of myself that way, and then think about it's either a wheat or it's a weed, ooh, I don't know that I like where that's going. I, I don't know that I would put myself into a good fish category, so to speak. So what do we do about that? Well, that's where we need a savior. 
That's, that's where Jesus comes in to give everything he's got to, to rescue us. He comes in to call us his treasure and to lay his life down for us. And the good news is that as, he, as we become aware of this sinfulness, he also gives us the Holy Spirit as a means and a, um, a way for us to make changes in our lives, a way for us to um, pull out the rocky soil so that the good seed can grow a way for us to get rid of the thorns in our lives that are trying to choke out the good things that God has for us. Uh, we can prepare the soil of our lives. And again, that doesn't make sense. This, these five don't make sense if we don't have that parable of the soil of the sower up front. Because we're either, we either are or we are not if we're looking at these five alone. But if we're looking at the parable of the sower, or the parable of the soils, as it's sometimes called, we can at least see we have the ability to make changes. We have the ability to amend our lives just like we would amend the soil so that the good things that God wants to bring to fruitfulness in our lives can take root and grow. So, Jesus, sort of like that yeast, is taking what is and changing it into something different. He's making it better. The beauty, the whole reason that we ferment things is to provide stability with things that are perishable. You can ferment cabbage and make sauerkraut and kimchi and all that kind of stuff, and, and it what would have rotted doesn't. It just continues to get better with time. With wine. Wine gets better with time, supposedly. Um, <clears throat> and grapes wrinkle and rot. Wine gets better with age. So, God is transforming us He's calling us to work with him to transform our lives. And just like the um, mustard seed grows and provides space and habitation and an invitation for other creatures of God to come in, so as God grows in our lives, more of him, more of his goodness, more of his grace, more of his love, more of his mercy will be made evident in our lives and invite others to come in. So that makes sense. That's, I mean, that's pretty much what I got. I mean, this is, <laughs> we're out of, we're out of uh, parables here, except for this last one, which really isn't a parable but it, it kind of falls into it when Jesus says the um, kingdom, therefore every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is old and what is new. And that's not quite a parable, but it's, it's an exhortation for us 
to keep the old things in our lives that are good and to bring those out as a treasure, offering them as a treasure to the Lord, but also to allow new things in our lives that can be treasures for the Lord too. So what's the Lord calling you to do in these five parables? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that um, your kingdom has been started and it is unstoppable. I thank you that um, you make the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and you provide for their needs just like you provide for ours. Lord, help us to see and to recognize and to appreciate the sacrifice that you have made to save us from sin and from death and help us to respond in gratefulness and thanksgiving and in love um, of you and in love of one another to how um, to that sacrifice and to what you're calling us to do and Lord equip us and empower us to be the people that you are calling us to be to demonstrate your love to this broken and hurting world for we ask it in Jesus name Amen